As we continue our study here, we're picking up in Genesis chapter 40 tonight, the entire chapter. And in a study that I've entitled, Feeling Forgotten. Now it's interesting to me that as you look at the story of Joseph and as it continues and you you move through the progression of what's happening in Joseph's life, it so radically mirrors our human story, but it also mirrors the life of Jesus. And so in one sense you can see yourself and in another sense you can see the Savior. And so tonight is a very, very common theme in our lives. Sometimes we get ourselves into situations, other times we're placed into situations where we feel like we've done the right thing or maybe we haven't done anything necessarily wrong, but we end up in a situation uh, that is not our own doing and somehow that situation seemingly gets worse and in the midst of that situation, the Lord allows things to come where it seems like we're alone like we've been forgotten. And that is Joseph's story tonight here in chapter 40. Now you would think after all he's already been through, he's been sold into slavery, he's been falsely accused, he's been falsely imprisoned, that you think at some point in time uh, you're going to begin to see the turn and it's just simply not yet. And the truth is that the Lord sees everything that goes on in our lives. And everything that he allows, he allows for a purpose. And everything that he purposes or wills to do uh, also has a purpose. So the truth is, in everything, the Lord has a purpose for all things in our lives. And so we'll pray. We'll pick up here with these 23 verses in chapter 40 here in the book of Genesis. And the continuing saga uh, of Joseph as he's here in prison. Father, we thank you for the life of this amazing man. Lord, who mirrors so much uh, you, Jesus, and who in so many ways is just like our human experience, Lord, falsely accused, at times uh, even imprisoned, maybe imprisoned uh, in a real prison with bars and sometimes prisons of our minds, Lord, prisons of circumstance. But we pray tonight that you would speak to us powerfully by your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Genesis 40. And it came to pass after these things that the butler, the baker, and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And so we we have now a butler and a baker. And remember where Joseph is? He's in prison. Uh, And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. And so here are these two fairly prominent people Uh, We think in a general sense, you know, not of a court officer or someone in, uh, if you will, the the hierarchy of government having the title of chief baker and chief butler. But in this culture, those were very high positions. And they were high for a couple of reasons. Number one, they were directly associated without obstruction with the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so they had direct access to the Pharaoh. And so they had jobs that allowed them to be next to the most powerful person in the world at that time, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so the other thing that we see in their lives was that they were in charge of the household staff and the household staff would have been huge. It would have been monumental. So these were very trusted positions. 
And so he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, in the place where Joseph was confined. And so you can begin to see this story unfold, that there are no accidents in God's kingdom. Joseph's been sent there ahead of time, and he's been sent there for a purpose. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. So Joseph's been in prison. He's a prisoner himself, but he's already being lifted up to a position of prominence, even in prison. You know, when you're walking with the Lord, and when you're in that place that God is at work in your life, uh, even in those difficult times, somehow you end up in a place where the Lord is going to use you. And you have to be open to God allowing you to be used in those places where you'd rather not be, as Joseph is in this particular case. And they served them, so they were in custody for a while. We're not told exactly how long, but it appears to be a, a few, few weeks at least. And then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. And Joseph's got a little bit of experience in this area. So it makes sense. It is not an amazement to us who know the story of Joseph uh, that he might be in a place where he might be able to interpret these dreams and that's exactly one of the reasons that he's there. And each man's dream in one night, each man's dream with its own interpretation. So there are two dreams, different nights, different interpretations. And so Joseph is going to be able to speak into both these men's lives. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them, and he saw that they were sad. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in in his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We have each had a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. The Egyptians believed that dreams were a direct revelation, generally from Ra, the sun god. And so sometimes Anubis, the god of the underworld, but generally speaking, if you had a dream and it was remembered, it was supposed to be extremely important. And so the importance in this case was that they did not have one of the court seers to actually see this dream. And so here they received these things whom they think is from Ra, the sun god, but it is truly God speaking into their life and he's going to use Joseph to speak to them. Because Joseph's in that place to where he's building a reputation before Pharaoh. And so Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? There's a little secret in that statement. God sometimes opens the strangest doors. The only question is, are you going to walk through them? Because this does not sound like a place where the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to be prominent, but in fact, even in the midst of this pagan environment, in an unjust situation, here you have a man who's willing to be used by the Lord, and so God puts him into a situation where he's going to be able to speak into the lives of these men. Don't they belong to God? And the inference is here, he's actually working on their belief. He's saying, what do you, what do you guys think? Don't they belong to God? Don't you normally have a situation like this when it comes up? Don't you have somebody who interprets these things who you believe hears from the Lord? So he's doing a little bit of self-promotion here for the very right reason that he is going to need to have the picture in Pharaoh's court that he actually hears from the one true God. 
And he's going to use these two guys who don't know God personally uh, to, be, to bear witness to that. Tell them to me, please. And so you can kind of see how he's beginning to work the situation. In this chapter, we kind of begin to see how the will of God sometimes is complex. Anybody experience that in life that's in here tonight? The will of God is not linear very often. It's sometimes a circuitous route that travels around to a lot of different places. And when you finally get around to where the Lord actually wants to do a specific work, you finally see how these other things were linked together. I don't know how many of you have ever sat down with any of these I didn't know there were adult coloring books, but my bride has tuned me into the fact there are adult coloring books. Um, they're kind of frightening. There's like thousands of different shades and colors, and you know, you, you can sit there and you follow the directions, and at first you look at it and go, man, that's weird. That is really strange. Why, why would that be like that? And in fact, once you start to fill in all the different colors, it actually takes shape. It begins to look like something that's actually going to to accomplish the purpose for which you intended that was to to make a painting or to color something that's meaningful but when you first start coloring in all the little boxes and blotches and things that are on this thing it's like it's like i don't even know what that looks like a whale i guess it could be a whale and the same is true for the will of god in your life sometimes you just have to start with the pieces you do know you got to start with the largest blocks of color uh, much like those paint-by-number things, if you're really old and you're in here, remember those ugly things. And usually you'd take the very largest places, and these are all number four, and you color those in. Well, it's the major works of God in your life are like that. We all have those big number four things, and they're pretty clearly from the Lord. But when you get down to the fine details, sometimes those things are tough to discern what color they actually are and what they're supposed to be. And that's true here in Joseph's life. But the truth that's hidden under it is there are no accidents in God's economy in working out his will in anyone's life, including yours. God has a plan and purpose in even the smallest of things. And I have to remind you that nobody in their right mind is going to sign up for this duty. Amen? Nobody raises their hand. Could you throw me in prison, please? That's not generally going to be anybody's mindset on a given time of day. You're not going to go, yeah, I'd love to go to prison today. That's not going to happen. So God has to work all those other little subtleties and circumstances to get you where he needs you. And sometimes those things are uncomfortable. Sometimes those things are outright painful. Amen? So God allows prison in the life of an innocent man who has already been sold into slavery. Kind of seems like overkill, doesn't it? And yet God knows what he's doing. It's no accident. This is the divine providence of God just continuing to work in Joseph's life. And so maybe you're asking, well, what does that reveal to us today? What can we learn from that today? Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, life, in a general sense, from Earth's perspective from our human perspective, is sometimes arbitrary. Sometimes those things that we see, we don't see in the fashion that the Lord is using them. But they're absolutely necessary, even though they're arbitrary. They're pieces that will fit in the puzzle. We just can't see where they go yet. 
There are pieces that are going to make up the fabric of your life, but you don't know how that fabric is going to be constructed. We don't even know what the baker did. I mean, he burned the Pharaoh's biscuits or what? You know, we don't know. We have no idea why he's, he's flung into prison. But for some reason, Pharaoh finds it necessary. We don't know what the butler did, but Pharaoh finds it necessary. And Joseph is there to receive these two guys. And, and you know, maybe the butler's bringing a, a glass of wine to Pharaoh. And he stubbed his toe and spilled it on him and, and ruined his rug or something. We don't know. And you're going to find times in your own life when you're going to seemingly end up in a situation that's like, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm not quite sure how all of these things happened. The question is, what are you going to do when that time comes in your life? Because it is going to happen. You are going to come across circumstances and situations in your own life where you're not going to know how all the little pieces fit together and you're not going to know why the particular pieces that you're experiencing in that moment of time have actually come about and you're also not going to know why the Lord allowed them in a very specific way at that period of time in your life. But what we do know is we have a faithful man. Could be a faithful woman. But we have a faithful man here who wants to do the will of the Lord. And because of that, that Romans 8.28 principle is at work in his life. That, that Proverbs chapter 18 Man's gift will make room for him, and the Lord establishes a great man. It, it is that way that the Lord works in our lives, that even in bad things, God can bring good things out of it. And that is exactly what's going to happen in this particular part of the Genesis story here. God's moving in his life. He has a definite purpose for it. And so Joseph here is going to have to make a choice. And it's the same choice that you have to make and I have to make every single day. When I am faced with these types of situations myself, I have to choose whether I'm going to allow the Lord to use those things in my life or whether I'm simply going to complain or I'm going to rebel or I'm going to look at them and go, oh, God must hate me. And if I was really, you know, if God cared about me, this would have never happened. No bad things, in fact, do happen to good people. Matter of fact, horrible things happen to people who are walking absolutely closely with the Lord. And so the question is, what are you going to allow God to do in using those things in your life? And so the point actually becomes for each of us, are, are we going to let God receive the glory for those times in our lives? Joseph is choosing here to be an optimist about his situation. And, and I want to just, for a moment, just say to each of us, myself included, that is our choice. We have a choice whether we will look optimistically at difficult things or whether we will look pessimistically at difficult things. Whether we will say, God, I don't like this, and then follow it with, but I know you don't allow things in my life that don't have a purpose that you're not going to use. You trust God, you believe God, that he is who he says he is, and he does not allow things into your life so that he can torture you. He has a plan and he has a purpose for it. And so the, the question is, and these, these axioms that we use all the time, is your glass half empty or is it half full? 
Are you sucking on a lemon or are you making lemonade out of the things in life? That's up to you. That's up to me. That's up to us. We get to decide how we respond to the things that God allows in our lives. God doesn't make us respond with negativity. Do you have an uplook or are you downcast? Are you willing to, to say, Lord, I trust you and I want to be an optimist about this or I don't trust you and I'm going to be a pessimist? And I don't say any of this to beat anybody up because I think we all go through periods of time where we're a little better at being optimistic, amen? And then sometimes we go through those periods of times where we're negative and pessimistic. And I pray those times get fewer and fewer in our lives. I know for me, this is one of those things that, that I've struggled with in part of my Christian walk is just simply realizing that God actually knows what he's doing. You know, you wander around, you go, ha, oh, I can't, if you really were in charge of things, Lord, you would have never let this happen. You know, how could I possibly be here? I've been faithful. I've done these things. Joseph was faithful. He wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. And in all of this, he simply chooses And hear this well, he simply chooses to glorify the Lord. He makes an absolute choice. He makes a choice to praise God rather than to question God. And this is on you. This is on me. This is on us. I'm the one that has to decide whether I'm going to praise God or not. God's not going to make me do that because then my praise isn't real but he does give me the choice. He allows me to say, Lord, I'm just going to praise you in this. That's why Colossians 3.17 says that whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Amen? Through the Lord Jesus. That's me. That's my choice. God's not going to make me do that. And sometimes I wonder if one of the reasons, and again, I'm wondering, I'm not saying that I heard from the Lord, the Lord gave me a direct revelation, but I wonder sometimes if the reason that we're not as blessed as we could be or as blessed as the Lord would like us to be is because we don't make this choice. Instead, I make the choice to kind of have the poor, pitiful me attitude towards the Lord. Or, or maybe I get envious, or maybe I get covetous. Maybe I look at other people's lives and say, well, they don't go through those things. Maybe I look at what other people have, and, oh, Lord, how come I don't have that? You see, when you're not content with where God has placed you, you're not ready to be placed somewhere else. If you are not content where God has placed you, you are not ready to be placed somewhere else. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is going to leave you in that circumstance until you get it right, is what I'm saying. Until you see it the way he wants you to see it, so you can learn those things he's trying to teach you in that moment, so you're ready to move forward. You're ready to receive more. Your tent stakes have been enlarged. You can get more of what God wants to do underneath your tent, so to speak. That's why it's so important important for us to, to give glory to God in these things. 
Verse 9 goes on to say, And then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph. And he said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. And it was though it budded, and its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. And then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them to Pharaoh's cups, and placed them in the cup of Pharaoh's in the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, "Here's the interpretation. This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. And now, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, according to the former manner when you were his butler." Again, we see. God using dreams. And as I said previously, it it is a very, very, very poor theology that is based on dreams. So be careful about transferring this into New Testament times because we find no place in the New Testament uh, beyond the centurion and Peter uh, found there in the book of Acts where a dream is actually used and that was very, very clearly uh, for the presentation of the gospel and to allow Peter to understand a significant point that the gospel was going to go forth to the Gentiles and to the Jews equally. But here in this place, we, we kind of find a similar thing to what we find in the life of King, King Nebuchadnezzar, which we'll uh, get to in our study in Daniel. And Joseph's able to interpret this dream But basically what he's saying is, look, Jesus is going to restore you to your previous throne, to the things that you were doing before. He says, I can can see in your life what God is doing. And so the, the question, Joseph basically gets the background for now and gives the butler his back background info. But remember me when it is well with you, verse 14 says. And please show kindness to me and make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into a dungeon. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm interpreting your dream, but I want you to remember who it was that gave you the interpretation of this. So when you go before Pharaoh, tell him what you heard. There's a picture here for us. Are are you a person of your word? Because this butler forgets about Joseph about that fast. He's released. Joseph speaks into his life. The truth has been told to him. And in essence, is your yes, yes, and is your no, no? Can you be trusted with the things that God wants to do in your life? And are you able to actually be used to the Lord in this fashion? Verse 16 says, And when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I was also in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. Now you can kind of see, it's like, hey, that's cool. Tell him your dream, and he tells you you're going to get out of prison. We call these people hanger-oners. People that are wandering around seeing the good things that God's doing in somebody else's life and they come up with a similar story. Now, we don't know that the baker and the butler weren't both telling the truth. It's assumed that they both are. 
But also I was in my dream, there were three white baskets, and on my head in the uppermost basket there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. Now for the, the butler, his problem is, as James 5 reminds us, you know, are you going to be able to, to speak the truth when you're called upon? Are you going to be able to do what God asks you to do? Are you going to have your yes, yes, and your no, no? But here the dream of the baker is a similar situation, but it's going to get a completely different answer. And you can kind of see the, the, the threenesses in this, uh, these two dreams. He'd failed to do his job. He's in prison. He's now carrying this basket of goods. And so we don't know the background story behind either of these guys. But you have these men who obviously are being told something from the Lord. And in this case, the birds are eating Pharaoh's bread and going to continue to eat of that. And ultimately, the baker is going to get a little bit different interpretation. And it comes beginning in verse 18. And it's interesting to me that the deliverance of the Lord, whether it's in Jonah's life or Jesus's life or a baker or a butler's life, is three days. If the Lord was going to do something in that three-day window, and we don't know specifically what the Lord's trying to say, was the a butler with his grape juice, is that you know equivalent to the redeeming blood of Christ? I don't know. I've heard it equated to the story of Cain and Abel. I've heard people you know, suggest all kinds of extravagant inferences here in these two stories. I don't know that any of them are true. But I do know this. The Lord is our deliverer. And he is the one to whom we turn in those times of trouble. And so Joseph answered verse 18 and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Now, I'm pretty sure that's not what he's expecting. Just saying. You you can almost almost say it. Now, the reason that I'm making this distinction is this. You have one man, Joseph, interpreting both dreams. Joseph has made very clear are not the interpretations from the Lord. So if the one interpretation is from the Lord, then the second interpretation by default must also be from the Lord. If you believe one, you have to believe the other. They're both coming from the same guy and they have both admitted that interpretations come from God. This is a situation that I find myself in all of the time. Because when you get to speak nice things into people's lives, you just tell them, man, it's so great. The Lord's doing these things in your life. And you get to speak some truth about how they're growing in the Lord or the Lord's healed their marriage or done something that is wonderful and spectacular. And they, somebody comes in and they're looking for the word of the Lord from you because they believe you hear from the Lord. And very often when you're just simply speaking forth the word of truth, if you just read the Bible to people, you're speaking forth the truth of the word of the Lord. 
But can I tell you, you can tell people the truth and they can get really upset about it. Radically upset about it. Same truth from the same Bible, from the same Lord. And people go, well, I'm leaving the church. They even blame me for their situation. And I'm using myself as an example because not just that it's personal, but it's an example to you. This is what happens when you choose to speak forth the word of the Lord. When you're bold enough to say, look, this is what the Lord told me. And so I'm asking you a question. How are you at being bold when the Lord gives you something to say? Are you willing to say it? Because I'm pretty sure when Joseph got the first interpretation, he's going, yes, this guy's going to be blessed. He gets the second one, he's going, I got to tell the dude he's going to die? It would have been really easy for Joseph because... Look, the baker and the butler don't have any idea what Joseph heard from the Lord until Joseph tells him what he heard from the Lord. Amen? He could have just said, well, in three days, um, Pharaoh's going to give you some stuff. You know, he, he could have backed off. But Joseph is so concerned with his integrity before the Lord that he is willing to say the difficult things. He's willing to say to this man, look, when you get out, you're not exactly going to be, if you ever get out of here and I'm wrong, Joseph's neck is on the line now because he's speaking the truth to this man and he's high up, he's powerful. He's just under Pharaoh. He's in Pharaoh's court. When you tell people the truth that they don't want to hear, sometimes it doesn't go so well. It can be painful. I think back on all the things that I've had to tell people. You know, while you're blessing one group of people, sometimes you've got to say, look, if you continue down this path, you're going to destroy your life. I know you may feel you have the liberty to engage in that behavior, but the Bible says this. And especially when you get down to those admonitions that Paul writes to the Roman Christians, to the church in Corinth, and to the church at Galatia, do you not know that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, my goodness. Do people get upset? Are you bold enough to speak those things? Because they're hard to say. They're difficult to say but they're exactly what people need to hear sometimes. It's not that every message needs to be that way, but when God gives you a message, are you bold enough to speak it? Because here's where it's going to come up. It's going to come up in raising your children. Your children are going to come home, and they're going to come home with something that the world says is okay, and you as a Christian parent are going to know it's not okay with God. Are you going to be bold enough to tell your own children? Thus says the Lord. It's not okay. God doesn't look at that the same way the world looks at it. Joseph was that kind of man. He could clearly speak what God had spoken to him, even if it might potentially be costly to his own life. We need that kind of boldness in the world that we're in. And we want to speak that truth, by the way, in love. 
Notice Joseph isn't beating this guy up. He's just saying, you ask, here it is. But he also didn't back away from the truth. He did speak that truth. And he spoke that truth in a way that this man could understand it. Will you do that? Because the world needs you to do that. The Lord needs you to do that. The church needs you to do that. And it is tough. There are some lessons that we can learn from the prison here. Verse 20. And now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. Now, just so you know, in the Egyptian world, Pharaoh's birthday was a national holiday. It was a big deal. It'd be kind of like President's Day, back when it used to be President's Day. Remember we used to have actually the birthdays of the presidents? You had Washington's birthday, Lincoln's birthday, and now we just have President's Day. But this was more like Lincoln's birthday or Washington's birthday. This was actually the birthday of Pharaoh. So it was a holiday that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. And then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to him. And yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Now you would think that that chief baker, as he's going to the place of his execution, would have been a little bit upset with Joseph. And you would think that the chief butler would have absolutely remembered what Joseph had to say, but he didn't. And again, there's a, there's a picture here. Joseph is now in a really hopeless predicament. You would think that with all this stuff going on, that Joseph would have been, yes, I spoke the truth. God honors it. It happened exactly as the Lord showed me. And now the butler's going to go to Pharaoh and he's going to say, you know, Joseph interpreted my dream and it happened exactly as he said. No, by the way, the dead baker, he told me that too. And Joseph would be out of prison. But God had another plan for Joseph. He needed him to stay in prison a while longer. And those prison bars were, in his case, really prison bars. Sometimes our prisons are prisons of words. Sometimes they're prisons of emotion. Sometimes they're prison of family. Sometimes they're prison of circumstance. But there are times in each of our lives when we sometimes end up in that situation where it seems like we've been forgotten in prison. But God has not forgotten you there. And maybe some of you are in that place tonight where you're wondering, man, does God even care? Does God even see where I'm at? It's like I, I keep doing what he asked me to do. I keep saying what he asked me to say, but things don't get any better. Things didn't get any better, not a lick better for Joseph. And one of the great dangers that we face in our Christian walk is being performance-oriented towards the Lord. If I do this for God, then he'll do this for me. It does not work that way. While it is true that God blesses our obedience, while it is true that if you want to receive the blessings of the Lord, you need to bless the Lord, they are not directly proportional, nor are they timed directly to your action. 
In other words, just because you do something for the Lord does not mean the following day the things that were messed up for most of your life are going to necessarily be fixed. So be careful because the enemy can seize on that and begin to feed your mind with the thought, see, God doesn't care. This whole Jesus thing isn't even working. It's not working for you. You've been praying and your family's not saved. You've been doing a a Bible study at work and you're still the lowest person on the list for advancement. Well, you've been praying before all your studies, but you're still getting D's. If you become performance-oriented and not faith-oriented, then you will be misled by the circumstances of life. You have to rest and trust that the Lord is who he says he is and will ultimately work all things together for the good, for you who love God. But don't look to the very simple circumstances of life and say, because I did this, this thing must happen. This is one of the greatest problems with what we call the the prosperity gospel. That if I just simply, you know, I give my seed gift, that God's going to give me a billion dollars. Or or if I just max out my credit cards and send them in, God's obligated to bless me. He's not obligated to anyone for any reason. God is under no obligation to give us anything, ever. But because he's good, he chooses to give good gifts to his kids. It is not a direct result of your works. It's because God alone is good and God alone is faithful and God alone is a God who blesses. He does those things in his time and for his purposes and his purposes alone. Don't get caught up in making God this this genie in a bottle that you do certain things and he's bound to come out and bless you. Because the moment it doesn't happen... You know what happens? You lose your faith. All of a sudden, well, what happened? I guess I don't have enough faith. I couldn't pray it into reality. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much, but it does not say that it avails everything you pray for. This is God's listing. But he answers according to his will, his purpose, and his time. You see, suppose that Pharaoh had let him out of prison at this point in time. The next 10 chapters of the book of Genesis would never have been written because they're all about the things that happened subsequent in Joseph's life. God wants to keep him nearby. God, in, in effect, is saying, You need to stay in prison for a while longer. I have some other purposes in prison. And in spite of that discouragement, Joseph believes that God is moving in his life. And in spite of your circumstances, you have to believe that God is moving in your life. We have to turn inward towards the Lord, not outward towards the things of the world. God is always faithful. The question is, are you always going to give him glory? Am I going to give him glory I've listened to the stories of pastors of huge churches. Tell me how hard it is to find faithful people in the church who will just simply continue to soldier on 
and just walk with the Lord. And I pray that's not a legacy that we have here in this church. Joseph was the kind of man that God could look at and say, that's my faithful servant. In season and out, he's ready to do whatever I ask him to do, even if it's a tough thing. And in fact, I believe it's that faith that gives him the sympathy and the the attitude he has towards these two men that he doesn't even know. And to some degree, these men that he's in prison with that are part of a system that's completely against him. We're not told here that these two men have any desire for a relationship with the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But Joseph ministers to him anyway. He looks at him and says, you know what, I have an obligation because God has been faithful to me. I'm going to be faithful to these men. Makes him humble. He gives God the glory for all these things. And when you do that, when you trust God, when you believe God, when you rest in what God is doing in your life, you end up just like Joseph. You may be forgotten in prison in that sense by people, but you're not forgotten by God. God has not misplaced you in that difficult circumstances that you're, in those difficulties that you're in right now. We all face them. One of the interesting things about teaching in a Bible college is listening to the expectations of young people who have come into Bible college expecting that the moment that they graduate, all of their troubles will be over. That, you know, the Lord will just protect them from every sickness and every disease and they'll have everything they've ever asked for and everything they've ever wanted and every person they ever shared the gospel with is going to just fall on their knees at that moment and receive Christ. And then after the first 15, 20 times that they've delivered a gospel message and not a single person has raised their hand, not a single person has come forward, nobody has responded to that message. That's when you have the real test. It's not the finals in Bible college. It's when your faith gets tested in the real world. That's when it counts. Bible college can be a wonderful tool. But if you leave a Bible college without faith in the God who that Bible speaks about, that education is useless. You'd be better off getting a degree in you know, mathematics or kinesiology or something. Sports medicine. The only reason that our lives work for the kingdom is faith. It's faith that saved us. It's faith that drives us. It's faith that stimulates us. It is faith that empowers us. It is faith all the way along. It's never going to be a system. It's not going to be a tit for tat. You do this and God will do that. Joseph learned to trust God in every circumstance. And we have to learn to trust God in every single circumstance. I have to learn to say in my own heart, you know what? God's got it. God's got it. God has this. There have been times and I will tell you 
openly and very directly that I've not passed this test myself. That I've looked at circumstances in life and it's like, Lord, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? Why am I here? How come I'm in this circumstance at this time? And every single time, without fail, the answer is approximately the same, Jeff, because you need this. But I've already done this twice. That's right, Jeff. You are going to do it a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time and a 700th time if necessary until you learn the actual lesson I'm trying to teach you. There's a faith lesson that God's trying to teach. And things sometimes look gloomy. Sometimes the Lord allows people into your life that the only gift they have is the gift of discouragement. You know, they know exactly what to say to you to any work that's previously been done in your life to just quench the work of the Spirit. Those people are going to come. Now, praise God, God is greater than all those things. Amen? He is able to, to redeem to the uttermost. Maybe you don't see a way out. God does. Maybe you don't see how God is using that circumstance in your life. God does. I think that's the main reason we have this particular story of, of Joseph's life here. It's because we need to realize that we can trust God. He is forever faithful. If you're his child and you're here tonight, God is permitting, at least permitting, if not outright ordaining these things in your life. It's the only two options in a sovereign God's ways and works in this world. Even his chastisements are for our good. Amen? Plain teaching of the scriptures, by the way. Hebrews chapter 13 says this. Hebrews 11 echoes another truth. But when you, when you look at these things, our, our conduct is, is to be without covetousness. We're, we need to be content. We need to be content right where God has us today because God has promised, and he did so in the Old Testament. We see it in the book of Deuteronomy. God has promised that he will not forsake you. That's on him. He keeps his promises. Now, in saying that, he doesn't say when he's going to pull you out of that situation. He doesn't say how he's going to pull you out of that situation. He doesn't actually say he's going to pull you out of that situation. That may be what we want, but maybe that's not what God wants. And in this case, Joseph being out of prison is not what God wants. It's what Joseph wants. God actually wants to keep him in prison a little while longer. And we're going to see why fairly shortly. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this in verse 11. And this is a faithful saying. For if we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Because he cannot deny himself. God is always faithful. And so when you feel forgotten, when you feel like God doesn't care, when you feel like you're going through something that maybe God's missed it on, 
When you're in that place in your own life where you're looking at the things that God is doing and allowing in your life and you're saying, Lord, why are you letting the butler in my life go free when I seem to be the baker losing my head? Trust that behind the scenes there's a God who desperately and deeply loves you that always has your best interest in mind. There is no time ever in your history as a believer that God does not have your best interest in mind and also the best interest of everyone else on this planet who loves the Lord. God does have it. He, he, he's got control of that situation and he is working those things together for an outcome that is gonna be for your good. But we have to trust him. We gotta walk with him. Believe that he is who he says he is. And even if those things happen that, you know, we look back on us, ah, man, I just don't get it. You know, sometimes I, I, I sit and listen to the stories of people and just like everyone else in this room, my heart is just pierced and pricked. It's like, Lord. And we do ask ourselves, couldn't you have done something there? Isn't there a, isn't there a way that this particular thing could have not happened? Or maybe could you have not done something that I would see would be something nice in that circumstance and situation? And I always have to come back to this truth. I either trust God or I don't trust God. There's no middle ground. There's a middle way of understanding those things, but there's really no middle ground. I'm either trusting him, I have faith in him, or I really don't. For me, I just want to trust the Lord. For us, I want us to trust the Lord. And whatever he allows, whatever he does, we just need to give it to him and say, God, you know what you're doing. I've done everything I can personally, and you have chosen to leave me in this situation, this circumstance. And a lot of times those things are things like health. I, I can't even, I don't even know how many people that I have prayed with and prayed for that were not healed. That may shock some of you. And I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't have me pray for you. You're not going to die if I do that. But I can tell you, I have prayed for people earnestly for long periods of time only to watch them suffer and die. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know. But I know God. I know God. And he does not make mistakes. Oh, how we want it differently. But God doesn't make mistakes. And so if you've done all you can, then you've got to rest in this. God's got it. Have faith. Persevere. Endure as a good soldier. March forward in battle. Do what you can do. But at the end of the day, we've got to trust him.
because he is forever faithful. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together? Father, I want to pray tonight. We're going to pray tonight for those that are maybe here, perhaps they're watching online, or maybe we'll hear this message later. Perhaps they'll tune into YouTube or hear it on a podcast. And Lord, we we invite you tonight. Lord, we cry out to you tonight in those areas to where we are faithless. Lord, to increase our faith. Lord, if there's someone tonight that's enduring hardship, Lord, they have been enduring as a good soldier and they're near that breaking point, would you increase their faith? Would you grow them, Lord, in their ability to wait on you and be renewed in strength, to mount up with eagle's wings, to run and not grow weary? Lord, for those that are going through a time of physical infirmity tonight, God, would you touch them by the power of your spirit to heal them? Lord, that is our cry, O oh God. Deliver, touch, and heal. Lord, for those who are hurting in their homes, Lord, their, their marriage is being tried and tested and pushed in by the world. God, would you make them a strong tower and a mighty fortress for your namesake and for your kingdom. Lord, those that are struggling financially, just difficult times, God, and it seems like your provision is at best meager, but Lord, you know what our needs are before we do, and we ask, God, that you would give abundantly to your children who ask tonight. Lord, we just cry out to you, and we know that you are faithful to see and to do what is your good pleasure in these areas of our living and lives. And so, Lord, we surrender to the trials and the tests in our lives. Lord, we're tired of fighting. We're we're tired of kicking against the goads, as the Apostle Paul said. You were trying to reach his heart, and Lord, he was going through things he didn't want to go through, but you made him blind so that he could see. Now, Lord, maybe some of us tonight need to be made less sighted so that we can trust more. Perhaps we need to not see with our eyes of flesh and just simply experience your goodness through faith. And so, Lord, increase our faith. Fill us with your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.